Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip and commentary. You can't beat the sound of a contented cat. That's why veterinary surgeon and natural pet food pioneer John Burns developed Burns Pet Nutrition. Because he knows the positive impact a natural diet has on our beloved pets. And our premium cat food is designed to satisfy even the most finicky eaters. For natural, no nasty, wholesome recipes, choose Burns Pet Nutrition. Available from veterinary clinics and all good pet shops across Ireland. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since it first started tumbling into Ireland through the old pirate coves of West Cork and in the stomachs of drug mules coming from Miami, cocaine has become the drug of our nation. It has swept in like a blizzard, dusting every corner of every small town. And so swift and total has its spread been that the Irish are now some of the biggest users in the world. But to unravel how a small island like ours on the edge of Europe ended up such a big player in the major cocaine leagues, we must follow the white supply lines back to the beginning. We must follow the routes it has taken as it travels across the globe. And most importantly, we need to follow the cowboys who put us on the map. So join me, Nicola Talent, for my new live show, Cocaine Cowboys, the story of Ireland's love affair with Colombia's biggest export. Limited tickets now available for February 10th at the Lime Tree Theatre in Limerick, February 15th in Cork's Everyman and at Dublin's Three Olympia on Sunday, February 18th. Tickets available at venues are on mcd.ie. You see him entering her home and then you see him leaving. And as he's leaving her home, he has an incredibly large knife in his hand and he has seen wiping the blood from that knife quite casually, throwing it away and walking on. A very glamorous woman, a very beautiful woman that was clearly just full of life and fun and had worked really hard as a nurse all her life and was really enjoying her retirement up until this god-awful person came into her company. I'm Nicola Talent and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. 68-year-old William Finlay was sentenced this week for a minimum of 20 years for murdering his former partner at her County Antrim home in the first case using new domestic abuse legislation. But is the sentence long enough for the life of retired nurse and grandmother Alison Nelson, who at 64 underwent a vicious, unrelenting attack, motivated by jealousy? Today, I'm talking with Belfast Telegraph crime correspondent Alison Morris about the new sentence tariffs and about the tragic sequence of events that led to the terrible murder. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. 
I suppose, first of all, explain this new legislation and sentencing for murder aggravated by domestic abuse. Yeah, so this week we've had the sentencing of a guy called William Finley. He was 68 for the murder of Alison Nelson, 64, who was stabbed seven times at her home in April 2022. I would take quite an interest in a lot of those femicide killings um, just because it's something, you know, that in Northern Ireland we were so far behind in terms of domestic abuse laws, personal control laws, stalking laws and all of the things that went along with that. Um, but this was one of the ones that I was keeping a close eye on because we had a new law that was introduced just prior to the, the murder of Mrs. Um, Miss Nelson, which was the Domestic Abuse Act, which made the aggravating factor of murder with a domestic motive. Um, it meant then the judges could take that into consideration um, when it comes to the, the sentencing of a case. So I had watched that thinking that, you know, that, that this could probably result in bigger tariffs than we have seen in the past. But I mean, there wasn't. He, he got a 20 year minimum tariff. I probably need to explain because I know that you don't have tariffs. No. Because I was looking at some of the recent murders that you had um, in terms of that, just to see what the tariffs would be like down south. And I didn't actually realise you didn't have murder tariffs. So what happens in Northern Ireland is a person is given life imprisonment with a minimum tariff. So the minimum tariff in this case was 20 years. And after that 20 years, he would be eligible for release if the parole commissioners agreed that he was safe to be released. The reality of the situation is that almost everyone is deemed safe to be released initially anyway. They start um, they start what they call as like a working out programme. There's a, a, a slightly open prison, if you for want of a better word, in Belfast where these people go to live and then they're allowed out first of all on day release accompanying and then secondly on day release on their own. Sometimes they're given jobs with charities um, until they, they are sort of, you know, rehabilitated, let's say, into society and then they're released full time. They will remain on life license where they can be recalled if they reoffend, and many of them do reoffend. Um, but in this case, I thought the tariff could have been in the mid to high 20s, given the new legislation and the aggravating factor. But the tariff of 20 years seems about right for what he would have got even prior to this legislation. So it was disappointing. And I think a lot of people like Women's Aid who'd been watching this case very closely as one of the first cases with the new legislation in place were also quite um, quite disappointed that it was to higher sentence. So what happened in this case and uh, William Finley, 68, sorry, my eyesight. I'll have to get these eyes lasered one of these days, but he's 68 and his victim is 64. Uh, they've started a relationship which has come to an end. It's bizarre that, you know, it's not, it's not a kind of a, something you expect to fall into the realms of domestic abuse anyway. Yeah, I mean, I suppose... But is one of the things is is the age of both the victim and the perpetrator in this case. And a lot of these cases, when we have seen in a lot of the cases that are coming, they're currently in training the courts here, there would be younger women and much younger men who have been in quite abusive relationships and then they've either tried to leave or the you know, they were in the process of saying they were gonna leave and they were murdered. In this case, Alison Nelson thinks she was a retired nurse. She lived in a place called Whitehead. And Whitehead is, you know, it's more like a little village, it's like a seaside village. It has, you know, a few wee sort of coffee shops and um, artisan little art shops. It's it's along the, the Antrim coast. It's, you know, the quietest, like it's a retirement village, basically. It's one of the quietest places she could possibly live. Um, she'd been living there and she had been in a relationship with this man who I think had spent most of his life with the Royal Navy. 
Um, she'd been in a relationship with him for a while. They had broken up more than a year. I think it was around 18 months prior to her being murdered. Now, what we don't really know is what kind of abuse he had been giving her in the meantime. Mm-hmm. Um, because this is one thing that I found, especially with older victims, is that they don't feel as comfortable coming forward to say that they're maybe being harassed by an ex-partner, maybe, you know, online abuse, telephone abuse, um, hanging around outside her house, things like that, that maybe younger women would be more clued in or in tune with reporting these sort of things. I think that they're, you know, with with older women, she had a very good family support and very loving daughters. And Alison, just to point out, this was a relationship she got into late in life. This wasn't a long-term relationship she was in with They were, they'd met in their sort of 60s or certainly she might have been in her late 50s. So, and maybe, you know, do women that age feel silly if they end up in a relationship with some sort of a a guy who does that kind of stuff to them? And do they not want to admit that they have been foolish enough at that age of their lives to sort of have gone into a relationship with somebody capable of stalking them then? I I think, I mean, he was not the father of her children, you know, and she had a very loving, a loving family, but she was a retired nurse. And I do think that there's a degree of that. I mean, even speaking to my friends who are, you know, just around the, their 40s, um, early 50s, and many of them would say about, you know, how did I get myself in that position? How did it work? Young women, I don't think, judge themselves as harshly as older women do. We tend to judge ourselves much more harshly if we, you know, get ourselves into a stupid situation or go with someone who is not as they seem at the start. I mean, clearly he was probably the most charming person alive in the beginning and then incredibly jealous she did the right thing she did what you'd advise any woman to do and she broke off this relationship this seems to have been sparked when she had a casual you know had started but a relationship with another man just you know a friendship with another man and this is obviously a very domineering very jealous and very dangerous man Finley um he called to her house and one of the most chilling things and this is why I think that you know there's more to the story that's still to come out is, you know, she had a ring doorbell fitted on her home, which to me indicates that she was afraid that he was hanging around her house and causing her problems. He found out about this new relationship. He has called to her house and this is all captured on the um, footage from the ring doorbell. Mm. And it's chilling. You see this man, you know, he was well, back to his up. He is clearly identifiable as who he is. You see him entering her home. Um, and then you see him leaving and as he's leaving her home he has an incredibly large knife in his hand and he is seen wiping the blood from that knife quite casually um, throwing it away and walking on and he's walking not running yeah he's walking he is you know he's someone who is you know he seems completely unconcerned by what he had done Um, you know, her, her victim impact statement to her children was awful. And it said that, you know, she was a loving grandmother. She spoiled her children, grandchildren. She had a child that was born after her death that she'd never got to meet. Um, and Finley had a history of this. He had been twice married before and he had a conviction in 1999 for assaulting his first wife and a daughter, along with a conviction in 2002 for harassing his first wife and assaulting her. Um, there was another entry on his criminal record for assaulting a complete stranger apparently biting his ear in 2002. So he was a man who was violent. I'm assuming that once Alison has realised he wasn't what he seemed at the beginning and was someone who was quite prone to violence, she has managed to get rid of him and get rid of this relationship. But as women say, any of those charities will tell you, it's when women try to get out of abusive relationships that they're most at risk. And that was um, Alison Nelson's case. 
Finley, was he not local that there was no talk about him and this background, this violent background? Was he from outside the area or because he was in the Navy? Had he spent a lot of time away? He spent a lot of time away. And also Whitehead would be the kind of place, as they said, it's more like a little sort of seaside retirement place. And there would be some young families live there. But a lot of people would have came from other places. They would have lived other places and then maybe sold up and downsized in their later years and moved to this beautiful wee place where you could have lovely walks something along up and down the seafront, you know, there's little um, cute little coffee shops all along. It'd be a lovely way of life in your in your later years. And I'm assuming that Alison Nelson thought that this was going to be a lovely place she could take her grandchildren to, that she could live a nice, quiet life as a retired nurse who'd worked incredibly hard all her life. Um, what Finley did, which I think made the, the murder even worse in terms of the, what her family were put through, is he did what a lot of these people do, and he dragged out the court process. He at first tried to go with while he was caught red-handed on the camera, so he couldn't say that he didn't kill her. He's caught with a bloody knife in his hand, I mean, literally the murder weapon in hand. But he did then try to play off a previous head injury. He tried to go for, you know, the psychiatric reports to say that this shouldn't be a murder conviction. It should have been a manslaughter conviction by way of diminished responsibility. Um, But the judge in this case said it was clear that the murder was entirely premeditated. He had, you know, sourced a pair of latex gloves he had a knife that was to hand that he had either been carrying around or had it in his car. Um, he's seen, as it said, wiping the, the blood from the knife as he's leaving the house. Um, he, the judge noted he, he had cleaned the evidence as best as he could, but he had also then was trying to clean it up, um, to clean up the evidence when he was arrested by the police, who said he had already cleaned, tried to clean the evidence off this knife. Um, she had sustained multiple stab wounds around her face, neck, and her chest and her back. And, you know, it's often, and these are the horrible parts of this case that I get covering those court cases when you listen to the detail, you find that very jealous men often try to stab women, women or batter them across their, their face or their neck. You know, they try to do as much damage to them as possible and that's what he seems to have set out to do. I would have liked to have seen the sentence be something that would have seemed like more of a deterrent and showed that that new legislation was really worthwhile. Um, you know, the fact is that the judge had said there was premeditation and that he had um, got a chance to murder her and seized it mercilessly is, is the term that he used. Um, so he had said that he, because he did enter a guilty plea, albeit later on, he'd considered giving the minimum term, which, which had been 23 years. And then he said because of his guilty plea, he had reduced that sentence to 20 years. This is something else I think that does really need looked at when there is a review of our justice system at the minute. But given um, people mitigation for guilty pleas when they haven't pleaded guilty initially, mm. I do think is wrong because they're not entitled to it. They have tried to work the system. They've realised the system isn't working for them. And the guilty plea in itself is often an attempt to play the system. It's an attempt to get that mitigation, that lower sentence in as a result of it. Um, so unless people, you know, enter a guilty plea at the earliest possible opportunity, I really don't think that it should be taken any time off their sentence at all. And why I was there no evidence given for the sentence hearing in relation to the relationship and had it been abusive or was there any suggestion of that? Had she told friends or family? It, it started off as a trial list because he did start off. There was, you know, there was a jury had already for it and then he, he entered a guilty plea in it later on. Um, because of that guilty plea, we didn't get to hear all the evidence. And, you know, maybe the family are glad that they've been spurred some of the more gruesome parts of the, of the evidence. The guilty plea... In the present, you would wonder that it would, as I said, it, it may not seem that just at face value that it should have got any credit given the fact that he had attempted mm. to plead not guilty. Um, 
but you know in, in some ways the reason why they take that into consideration is it says the family the ordeal of having to give evidence are they hear others giving evidence and that um which is what we didn't hear so we don't know a hell of a lot of the details in terms of the lead up to this and what had happened had there been incidents that had led up to it prior to him knowing that she was at home alone at this time how did he was able to plan it so well because we didn't get to hear that evidence but then that also means the family are spurred the evidence of the emergency responders and mm. pictures which are often shown to juries and all sorts of other terrible things which i think people struggle to, to really deal with they not in the aftermath of of those kind of trials. And like in this case, will there be a coroner's uh, hearing in the aftermath of this trial? Because sometimes they are put on hold until if there's something pending. Yeah, there should be an inquest and the inquest will take place now that the, the this case has been concluded. We do have a bit of a backlog in our um, in our coroner's courts at the minute as there is backlog for the everywhere in every kind of court. So I'm not sure when that will take place. But yeah, often you do get um, some more of those details in terms of maybe what had happened, had she contacted anyone, had she expressed that she was worried for her safety, um, you know, had she confided in anyone and all of those sort of things might be made public then at the the inquest. Um, you know, you can see even in the pictures, you know, Alison Nelson's fact fact she's in her 60s, she didn't look like she was in her 60s. She was good very, say, isn't she a lovely looking woman? Yeah, a very glamorous woman, a very beautiful woman that was clearly just full of life and fun and had worked really hard as a nurse all her life and was really enjoying her retirement up until this god awful person come into her um come into her her company and had destroyed her of what should have been a really happy happy um happy retirement. But yeah, this the domestic abuse legislation was hailed as a turning point for us. And after this week, I'm not sure mm. that it is. It it does give as I said, it's the first person to be sentenced for murder. And the exact word is it's aggravated by domestic abuse, and that's it. So in this case clearly was aggravated with a domestic um motivation to it, but it hasn't Mm-hmm. resulted in higher tariffs. I have done quite a few stories in relation to these kind of cases and some of the families be furious at some of the, the sentences that come in after afterwards because the tariffs don't seem high enough. You know, people who work in, in the criminal justice world and even, you know, previous justice ministers will argue, but it's not a release date. It is a minimum. So then they have to go in front of the parole commissioners to convince them to be released. But in reality, like most people get released not even on their 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 date at the end of their tariff and they've run up to it about a year before and start working them out and preparing them for life on the outside. So sometimes people will be seen in the company of um prison service staff on day out and trying to get them used to the, the world that they have been taken, you know, they have been out of for the last twenty years. So no, I don't think it's enough to turn because when you look at um other parts of the UK and specifically England, where they have Dozens of people here currently serving full life sentences. I mean, you get a full life sentence and you never get out again. Mm. Um, and that seems to be a fair case. I think, you know, when you look at some of the cases in the South where you aren't getting a tariff, it's clear that in some of those cases, when the judge listened to the judge's comments, that the expectation is that those people will never be allowed back out again. Um, but that will be obviously for a parole board to decide. And these cases, I just think, are if we're meant to be in line with the rest of the UK and all sorts of legislation, well, then I think you know our sentencing procedures should be the same. You see, theirs are on a statutory footing, whereas ours are as a result of precedent. So judges will give information. They will the prosecution bar still get up and mention previous cases and say, you know, in the Crown versus X, Y, and Z, the tariff was this, and it was this because, and then the judges look at it in the round, and that's how they come to their decision. Um, which to me doesn't seem you know, to be the first way, a bit ad hoc. And so if you look at, say, 
interests. For instance, you know, um, the Wayne Cousins murder, you know, the murder that the Metropolitan Police Officer, um, he got a full life sentence. There's, a, there's I think I asked, there was over 30 the last time I asked, in English prisons alone, do you have full life sentences? We don't have um, any. Mm. People around and serving a full life sentence. And finally, I suppose, is there any sort of an indication of how vulnerable women of that age are to this kind of thing with new partners? I mean, you just would like to think you're on the homeward straight at that point with whatever love life you have, you know, be it you're still in a a long term marriage or you're on the dating scene in your sort of 60s. Is there any indication of how vulnerable women of that sort of era are to to this? You know that, I mean, domestic abuse campaigners are always keen to point out that it has no, you know, age group. It has no, it has no status group. You know, people from very sort of middle class, which is let's say the last policy now, so much who live a very comfortable, comfortable middle class life, to people who you know are living in much um, worse financial circumstances. Oh, can come here, come to anyone. It really can. And the majority of people, we we do see partners even murder people later on in life, despite the fact that they spent many years with them. But yeah, I do think that there's, you know, there's. Definitely some work to be done or some conversation to be had about what happens to women who find themselves single either through divorce or through being widowed at, at you know a later stage in life. And how safe are they from, you know, really predatory men? Because in some ways, you know, young women are so wise to the world in terms of online dating and red flags and what to look out for. But when you think about it, those older women, they're they're you know completely unprepared. Mm-hmm. That, that sort of thing that you know they've probably been in a steady relationship for you know 20 30 years and have to go back out into that world again and then trying to decipher who's good guys and who's bad guys um it isn't the easiest thing because you know the bad ones sometimes wear a mask and the flip side of that though at the same time i suppose if they're dating guys in around their same age they do have you know decades of background there that for for checking whereas young people are kind of maybe you know, entering relationships with with blokes who are, I mean, it can be the other way. It can be the woman who's committing the the domestic violence as well and the man. But, you know, they're starting their their career with that. So there's no kind of maybe red flags there. Whereas if you're, you know, older, you can, I mean, he had a history. She clearly didn't, we imagine, know about it. No, but she was entitled to know that, by the way, because we do have a right to know scheme in Northern Ireland where if you suspect your your partner may have, there may be some red flags up and you think, this guy doesn't maybe have a social media history. You can't really find anything online and you're curious. Or if you're a family member of someone you're really concerned about who is vulnerable in a relationship or someone who you think may have a violent past, you can't make an application. Um, they don't happen that often, but with approved, then you have a right to know the person who's in the relationship has the right to know that the, 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 the man that they're with has a um, has convictions of previous convictions for domestic abuse or if they've had non-molestation orders or restraining orders against them. I, I always think that the biggest the biggest red flag is the men who tell you that every single woman they've ever been with is crazy and you think, well, you're the common denominator here. Do you know what I mean? Okay. I think really the, the lesson there is from, from what you're saying is to, to both the young and the old venturing into the dating world, which we know obviously we're out of our area of comfort there with that in the first place, but <laughs> use Google, yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the first thing I do when I meet anything. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter whether someone want to date or not. It's like I do. It's go, oh God, must must look them up and see who they are. I mean, I don't. Maybe is that the journalist in me, or am I just nosy? But I mean, no, I, can, 
I think that's sensible. And of course, if they're not there, Amber Alert time, you know? Well, that's it, of course, yeah. That's, that's completely an alert. you got to find out why they're not there. Yeah. Everybody needs a digital footprint and if they haven't, there's something wrong there as well. Absolutely. But look, a very tragic story and that's so sad oh, for that family and, you know, her grandchildren. Beautiful, beautiful woman. And, you know, you have to say, her family must miss her terribly at Christmas, at birthdays, at everything because... As I said, if people go online and they want to have a look and say she was just, you could see that she was just a gorgeous current human being who'd worked in the current profession all her life and was just full of life. And to think her life was it was stuffed out by someone as pathetic and horrible. And, you know, the, the city just chilling. It's chilling. He just walks as casually as you like out of her house, wiping blood off a knife. I mean, it's horrendous. And only for his age, uh, he probably, I mean, he certainly has a, a high chance of dying in prison and never feeling or sensing freedom again. But that is only purely because of his age and not because you feel that legislation was properly. Yeah. Alison yeah. Morris, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from Sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.